This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad. Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. America's fastest-growing TV brand, TCL, brings you Mackie and Judd. Um, you know, I learned um, I learned a lot, lot about the man um, outside of football. You know, um, I had a lot of um, time to reflect on my life and where I want to go and the decisions I made. Um, and I just want to um, get better with get better with some of my decisions that I made and you know just improve on them. Football. Yeah, this news broke Everson Griffin back to the Vikings when Kyler was in studio yesterday, and that was the first time he's spoken with the media. So what what are, you, what are your thoughts? I guess my initial knee-jerk reaction was, well, two of them, Kyler. One was, this is great. We're talking about mental illness, and now Everson can use his platform to push this conversation forward just like Kevin Love did, and we shouldn't be ashamed to talk about these things, and I'm glad that, that he's open about this to whatever degree he's going to be. My second knee-jerk thought was, has he been, has, is 30 days enough? Is, the, is he coming back too soon? And really only he can answer that question. Yeah, and that's what makes this so hard to really talk about, is to know, and especially since we understandably don't have more details from either the team or Everson himself, on what type of treatment that he has undergone and, and really even what the, the major issue was. I mean, the only thing we can really say is we understand it was a mental health issue that he's been dealing with for some time and trying to, to battle through, but uh, that's kind of all we know. We're working with so little information that it's impossible really for me to tell you whether he's ready to come back or if they push him back too soon. I mean, with Delvin Cook's hamstring, when they sent him out against the Rams, I could have said to you, uh, guys, I wonder about this one. He's been limited, and I don't like this pitch count thing. But, I mean, when we're talking about issues uh, that are, uh, you know, so personal to every individual, like a hamstring heals the same way for everybody, but mental health issues are, are very different for each individual and what they need. Uh, so with Everson, I, I guess the, the, the best I can do there is just to say that the fact that they have him back here now and he's back with his teammates – um, then I, I guess that must indicate that they feel like he's in a good spot to continue to go forward this season. So what, what are your thoughts here uh, about how this could play out? Because I will say this. The one thing that Zim said today that I completely disagree with is this is, in this world, unique. He tried to say it's not, and I get people People have mental health issues, Matthew, and they go back to work, and but their work is at a desk or or some type of ordinary job. Where I disagree with Mike is, this to me is very unique because Griffin is going back to a workplace that, that for most of us, we have no comprehension of what that workplace is like. 
Yeah, I'll agree from the standpoint of just the pressure and the emotion involved and what you go through just mentally through a season. Um, I, I think that for every bit as tough as we look at NFL players and their strength and, and muscles and all that and how hard they work on their physical toughness, the uh, the mental toughness is what really separates some of the good players from the great players. And, you know, when, when you're talking about the strain that someone has to undergo, that is very unique. That's not going to happen to, you know, the guy who works at just a regular company. Um, at the same time, there is, a, I think, a, a very high level of support for Griffin because of what he's done and who he is. I mean, this isn't just like a regular player who is, you know, number three wide receiver or something. I mean, you're talking about one of the premier players in the entire NFL and a guy that is universally loved and appreciated in the Vikings locker room. And I, and I, I think that uh, because he's been around for so long, because he has such great relationships with so many players on the team, it is a better situation than it might be if you were on a new team or it was a different situation, then you might be still feeling like you're dealing with this alone. And I don't think that's the case for him. Where I would agree with Mike Zimmer is that, that, uh, you know, there are a lot of people from whatever walk of life it might be who deal with this sort of thing. And the fact that, uh, you know, maybe it was forced out into the public by how we all found out what was going on, but, you know, how you deal with it matters and showing support and uh, understanding for him, I think, is the best thing the Vikings could have done. Matthew Collar, you can find his written work on a regular basis at 1500ESPN.com on Vikings and uh, multiple Purple Podcasts a week. Sage Rosenfels in the mix with him a couple times a week. So we've all got this correct image of the end of the Saints playoff game last year. It's like one of the most exciting endings, if not the most exciting ending to a game in Vikings history, which does a great job covering up Drew Brees' amazing second half in which he carved the Vikings apart. So now that we've spent the week sort of reflecting on this and you've had a chance to to be in the locker room, um, you know, what... What what do you think the vibe would have been if that game didn't end with a 60-yard touchdown from Stefan Diggs, and what can the Vikings learn from what happened in the second half of that game? Well, I think I know what the vibe would have been. It would have been exactly like it was in Philadelphia. Even though the scores were different, it felt like that team got completely gut-punched, and it wasn't just uh, a loss, but it was a loss where Case Keenum did the thing we all were – nervous about him doing, which is throwing the, the really bad interception and then, you know, the defense not playing like they did. I mean, there are similarities to the second half of the Saints game and the entire Philadelphia Eagles game. And, and I think that what you saw there was in Philadelphia, a team that truly believed that was their year and, and the miracle played into it, but also from what they had done through the whole season. It wasn't just a good defense. It was the number one defense. And even though it wasn't a Joe Montana-level quarterback, it was this special relationship with him and his receivers and the offensive coordinator, Pat Shermer. And I do wonder if some of the slow starts of the season had to do with this team kind of figuring out still who it is. And we might find out more as we go forward here against New Orleans. But um, you know, I think they knew exactly who they were last year and their identity, and that got shaken when they lost in Philadelphia. And I think that's exactly what would have happened had they allowed Drew Brees to finish that game. If they'd even gotten the third and one, which Sean Payton brought up on his uh, conference call, the third and one that 
that would have killed the clock and allowed them to kick a last-second field goal. If, if that had happened, I feel like it would have been extremely deflating to this team because they felt like everything went their way that year. Okay, film guy. What did the Saints change in the second half of that game to have so much success after Breeze and that offense in the opening half in that January game were incredibly pedestrian and not that good, yeah. really? What did they yeah. change? You know, the funny thing about that is that Drew Brees had actually moved the ball a couple times in the first half, and then they had drives end on kind of weird ways or, or just good, good plays by the defense. There was one tipped ball that – you know, just fluttered in the air, got picked off by the Vikings, and that was a really good drive by New Orleans. And you could have seen the writing on the wall that it wasn't over, even though they had had those struggles in the first half. But, you know, I think it was just a pure demonstration of a guy who is above the whole rest of the world outside of, like, ten quarterbacks ever. <laughs> I mean, he is, he is just flying in the air that only Joe Montana, Dan Marino – Aaron Rodgers, Brady, only those guys can fly because there were throws in that second half that made no sense. I mean, that just you never see anyone even attempt, and you certainly never see anyone outside of those type of quarterbacks complete. And I think the the one that was a touchdown to Elvin Kamara where it, it really got real, and I think uh, New Orleans took the lead on, Kamara's not open, he's covered, Eric Hendricks is right there, and there's a, only a couple of inches that that thing has to go into for him to make the catch, and Drew Brees puts it there. And the, the other thing, too, was a display of mental toughness that you just will not see anywhere else. I mean, a guy who's on the road, toughest road environment, number one defense, and Xavier Rhodes gets a penalty or, or was really shaken, I think, after Anderson Dale got hurt, and the first thing Drew Brees did, attack Xavier Rhodes. So a guy who can keep his head through that sort of situation is just a special all-time player. And I feel like this week we're – we're spending a lot of time on just like how great Drew Brees is, but you can't say enough about what a challenge he is to try and stop. Yeah, one last thing for you here, Collar, and and maybe we can float this by Rich Gannon here. He's coming up in about five minutes, but it, quarterback play in the NFL has been on a steady climb pretty much since the beginning of forward passing. I mean, if you look at passer ratings and interception totals and the trends, all of it for sure in the Super Bowl era, has trended toward better and better and better. In baseball, for instance, we had power spikes for different reasons and different eras, and then pitchers became dominant. Do you think we reach a quarterback bubble at some point where it starts to go back down the hill for whatever reason, circumstances and rules change? Or are we just going to keep doing this where in, in 10 or 20 years from now we're looking back at the Breezes and the Bradys and saying, oh, man, they only threw for 5,000 yards. This guy threw for 7,000 yards. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I don't think that it's going to be that crazy, and I think that this year is a little bit of an odd situation, in, in part because there just haven't really been any injuries. I, I mean, last year when you look around at the numbers, you'd say, oh, you know, offenses uh, were this percentage less or quarterback ratings were this percentage less. Right, because Andrew Luck wasn't playing and Aaron Rodgers wasn't playing and a, a couple of other quarterbacks, too, that were good, uh, either you know just weren't in or wh- whatever it might have been for last year. And then the draft class. I mean, I, I think that this was a, a very special draft class to get someone like Baker Mayfield into the league, and, and that just ups the overall talent. And then the quick rise of someone like Patrick Mahomes. So what, what I think is getting a little harder, though, I don't know where statistics will eventually go, but what I think is getting more difficult is just deciding who's actually good and who's actually not. Because 
you can't just pull up a stat page and look at someone and go, oh, 4,000 yards. And I, and this has kind of been even over the last, I don't know, maybe decade or so. I remember when John Kitna threw for 4,000 yards in back-to-back seasons, <laughs> and that sort of sparked my mind of like, you know what, maybe some of these traditional stats tell us lies. And now, now I think it's all about who performs the best when the other team knows you're throwing. Like when you just have to make a throw and that's it, and it's third down and long in the fourth quarter, and there's no way you can use play action or jet sweep motion or any sort of trickery. It's just you got to throw it. That's where Drew Brees is the best, and maybe some other quarterbacks aren't as good. Football. How dare you slander John Kitna, you heathen? I mean, I like John, but it just wasn't really that good. Heck of a backup quarterback. Bye, Matthew. Bye. See you guys. All right, Matthew Collar. From 1500ESPN.com and the Purple Podcast. Rich Gannon is coming up to, to uh, continue the football hour next year. Mackie and Judd are back. You're about to make a whole lot of people around here real happy. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios on 1500 ESPN. All right, quick, tra- uh, quick check on your traffic. 494. Uh, we've got debris on the roadway near Eden Prairie. That's uh, near Highway 62. And uh, County Road 60, Baker Road, uh, just look out for uh, debris on the roadway there. But otherwise, everything moving around rather smoothly. Football. Thank you, Manny. All right, let's get our, our guy in here. Rich Gannon, weekly guest on the Mackey and Judd Show. And Rich, the, the news came out that Everson Griffin has uh, returned from a little over a month away from the team after some mental issues that put him in the hospital and... Uh, he's going to try and give it a go at practice this week and maybe even play against the Saints. And my question to you is, football seem, it, it, it seems to be a really difficult environment to talk about such things for players to go through, whether it's anxiety or depression or different mental issues. It, it feels like such a shut-up-and-play type of a, a vibe, and probably even more so 20 years ago than now. What are your thoughts on on that culture and... If you're a guy like Everson Griffin and you're going through mental issues, it you know it's it doesn't seem like the most conducive atmosphere. Am I right on that? You are. It's a great point, and and uh, I I tip my hat to the Viking organization. I know that they've gone out of their way to really try and help him and get him the help that he needs, and the resources for him and for his family. And I think that's the most important thing. And I applaud them for you know giving him some time to get away from the game and, and to clear his thoughts and, and to get the help that he needs and. Look, the NFL has done a much better job uh, than, than, say, even 10 or 15 years ago in terms of the resources that are available to players. Um, I think that players understand that uh, you know players bring certain baggage with them, like we all do, in, into our professions. And and uh, so I, you know, look, I, I think it's good that uh, he's back with his teammates, doing what he loves the most, and. Uh, hopefully feeling better and, and this could be really good news for the Vikings because as we know he's a an impactful player along that defensive line. So Rich, how do you balance this though? Because the that environment is not one that is full or or can be full of uh, self-doubt and talking about your emotions. So how difficult is that? Because as much as teammates might want to support him and certainly can do so away from football, there is a there is a place in time in football where it really is about suspending belief and and going into games thinking that things can't go wrong and you basically have to be the most macho guy on the face of the earth on Sundays at least right. 
don't know about that. I, I, I would I would suggest that you know his teammates will really rally around him. I, I, my experience has been when players have any type of issue, whether it's a death in the family, whether it's an issue with drugs and abuse, whether it's a personal issue, something someone's struggling with. You know, not only will the team chaplain and the coaches and uh, you know the player program director everyone's going to rally around the player because look they, we care about one another you're, you're kind of a, a tight-knit family if you have a good football team I believe the Vikings have that so um, I, I think he's going to feel loved and, and welcomed back by his teammates and know that he doesn't have to hide you know what he's going through and at some point he can come out and talk about it there's other players that have had you know, some issues like this that have that have dealt with them and have done really, really well. I think I think the biggest hurdle is just simply admitting that I've got something I'm dealing with. I think most of us try and get that inside and bury it because I think we're ashamed or we're, we feel no one understands. And so this could be a real turning point, not only in the in the professional career of of Everson Griffin, but also in the personal his personal life. Yeah. Hey, what are your what are your thoughts on what's happening with the Raiders and the trades they've made? Oh, Derek Derek Carr is getting hammered in the media here for, for the clip. They keep showing him crying after the injury and stuff. It's kind of rough out there. It is. I don't know about the crying part. I think he was you know he was hurting a little bit. I don't I don't know that. You know, look, he, this guy broke his back a year ago. He uh, you know he had a broke his leg at, uh, two years ago. So I, I know he's a tough guy. I, I do know this that they're making wholesale changes. I think these are changes that they feel need to be made. I think when you look at it, they got five first round picks in the next two years, guys, and they've got three next year. And you know the the, the situation with Amari Cooper was he's been inconsistent. He's led the league in drops the last three years. Um, he hasn't been as reliable as you'd like. Um, he kind of disappears at times. He doesn't really play well when he's not 100% when he's de- dealing with some injuries. And so I just think at the end of the day, they just felt like, you know, they could move in a different direction. Uh, and, you know, they're not going to make the playoffs this year. And I just think that they're really stockpiling picks and, and trying to trying to create the right environment. You know, I think you come in, you change the culture and the environment. John Gruden's trying to do that. He wants players to love football. We're going to totally buy in and, and be out in the practice field doing the little things it takes to get better. So it's been a painful process. They're not playing well defensively. They have the fewest amount of sacks in football. Had a difficult time getting off the field. I think the quarterback has regressed a little bit. But I, I think they have a chance to, to, to turn the corner in the second half of the season and, and at least finish strong and hopefully build them and, uh, you know, into the offseason. How good is the Rams team that you saw oh. destroy San Francisco last Sunday, Rich Gannon? You know what really surprised me um, was just how well-rounded they are. I mean, um, you know, I, I knew, we know about their offense, right? They've got the you know the number one offense in football. They're scoring a lot of points. Number one rushing uh, team in football. Gurley, you guys, you know, the Vikings saw them, you know, uh, earlier in the season. But I just think they're getting better, and I, the coach is so impressive. Um, you know, Goff just looks like he's in total control of things. Todd Gurley is a special, special player. I mean, he's not just in the running game, but the passing game. And I don't think we talk enough about how good the offensive line is. On the defensive side of the ball, you know, Aaron Donald had four sacks. I think he's he's in better shape now than he was, say, the first couple weeks of the season. They have to have him miss, you know, the entire offseason. Um, if there's a weakness right now, it's probably uh, the secondary, but they're really good. This Corey Littleton blocked a punt. I think they, you know, they're, they're just special teams are making plays. So, 
when you look at the schedule and what's left for them, they've got the Packers, uh, they've got the Saints, um, but you know, after this next month, if they can get through the next month, there's a chance this team can go undefeated. Yeah. You know what? This is just a random thought because the Rams were, even three years ago, the Rams were below 500 and couldn't move the ball and, you know, different regime, different coach. But the this is such a testament to the Patriots, Rich Gannon, and that every year they're 12 and 4 or 14 and 2 and playing the Super Bowl. And the NFL turns over like every three years. Three years ago, the Eagles were under 500, the Rams were under 500, the Saints were under 500. Uh, the Vikings uh, a couple years ago had a, a down year in which they didn't make the playoffs. The Jaguars were five and eleven, and et cetera, et cetera. And the, the the Chargers were one of the worst teams in the NFL. Why? It's like the the Patriots over the course of two decades have never turned over, but every other team in the NFL and every other coach has gone through turmoil. Andy Reid might be the closest thing to what you see in New England. It's a dynasty, and. You know, what Belichick has created, I think that um, there's been a lot of continuity there. When you look at Brady, he's had one play caller, and I, I should say he's had one system. He's had a couple different play callers that have all been promoted from within. He's really the, the catalyst behind it all offensively. Um, defensively, you know, this is a disciplined football team. They usually lead the National Football League the fewest amount of turnovers, fewest amount of penalties. They don't, they don't, you know, there's an old saying that, you know, in the National Football League that, uh, you know, you have to learn how, you know, not to lose before you can win. And, you know, they do that as well as anybody. They don't shoot themselves in the foot. They make good decisions. And this is a very disciplined football team. Great work ethic, mental and physical toughness. They've absolutely dominated this division. And you look at this division, the one, the one interesting thing is Belichick and Brady have been together for 19 years. Yeah. Look at how many different quarterbacks and head coaches, the Dolphins, the Jets, and the Bills have had during that oh, time. And God. that really tells the story. Yeah. Rich, uh, speaking on teams that are speaking on disciplined teams and more notably undisciplined teams like the Jacksonville Jaguars and what's going on down there with them, um, obviously their season is not over, but they've lost three in a row. And so many questions and speculation is surrounding the quarterback position right now. I where I mean, obviously they've got nine games left to play this year, so they're they're focused on that. But after this season, I mean, they have to address that quarterback position right now, right? Because Blake Bortles is just he just does not seem to be the answer for them. It's kind of an accident waiting to happen, guys. You know, if you go back to 2014 when he entered the league, he leads the league in the most amount of turnovers, whether it's interceptions or fumbles. He, you know, he's a He's a turnover machine, and that's the reason why he got sat down. And in the last year, he was really on his best behavior. You know, they were running the football with Leonard Fournette. Um, they had, a, you know, the defense was, you know, arguably one of the best defenses in football. And you know, uh, they were just kind of rolling along. You know, they had they had it going, and he was, you know, he, he had probably played his best football. And in fairness, the offensive coordinator Nathaniel Hackett did some really good things to protect him. You know, what I mean, short, quick throws, screen game. Um, you know, running the football, not putting him in bad situations, not asking him to win games. The, the, the pitch count was down in the 20s every week. I mean, you know, that's how they kind of did it. So um, now they're not playing as well defensively. Fournette hasn't really played since, I think, week one. And they're struggling. And, and you know, when you put when you bench a quarterback and you put in Cody Kessler, <laughs> that, tells yeah, you, that tells you about all you need to know about how they feel about Blake Bortles. Yeah. And, Rich, what, what's it also like with, so he gets benched, and then 
Marone comes back and says, no, he's going to start next week, but then adds he, he's on an extremely short leash. So I, I would take it that entire entire thing defeats the purpose because if you're Bortles and, and you note that you're on a short leash, you're thinking to yourself, okay, I make one mistake, I'm done again, right? The worst thing you can do for a quarterback's confidence, guys, you go back to the 92 season, we were 8-3 and and in and, and his infinite wisdom, Denny Green sat me down for Sean Salisbury of all people and, and uh, you know, I got a chance to come back in two weeks later after he was playing poorly and, and uh, against the 49ers of all teams, right, with Steve Young and Jerry Rice and all those guys. And we went up losing a close one at, at, the, at the Metrodome. And I just, I just can remember during the game missing a throw on third down or, you know, something happened and you're coming up and you keep looking over. It just, it just you know, wasn't good for me. Uh, I didn't trust the coaching staff or the coordinator. and It just was a bad situation. So I can only imagine. Now, the good thing for Blake Bortles is, is that you know, there's they they they've got to ride him out the rest of the way, and and um, you know they've got a good enough defense, and if they're you know they can get the running back going again a little bit in the running game, then he doesn't have to you know he doesn't have to do a ton to to, to put him in a position. He, what he has to learn is he has to learn how they're built and how he can get his team to the finish line every week, and he hasn't quite figured that out. Yeah. I'm going to guess that he's probably not going to have the late career MVP resurgence that you had, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah, you know he's he's, he's uh, he, he doesn't really throw the ball that well, guys. You go back and really study him coming out of Central Florida, he, the accuracy and then the decision making. Those were some issues that that were uh, uh, you know very visible when you study the film. Yeah. Hey, great stuff again, Rich. We'll talk next week. See ya. You guys are the best. See ya, see ya Rich. Rich Gannon. Uh, breaking down the footballs with us. I love that little little dig at Sean Salisbury there. You know what? Wow. Of all people. <laughs> Let's put that in our, our notes. We need to ask him next week. Denny, it was weird. They acquired him. So the Patriots got Gannon. The Patriots were going to make him a running back? And he said, no, no, no. Wait. They were going to make Gannon a running back? Yeah. The Patriots drafted in the 80, him. In the 80s. Yes. Okay. And they drafted him out of Delaware, I believe, yep. where he'd been a quarterback. Yep. Patriots wanted to convert Rich to running back. Hmm. Rich said, no way. They traded him here, and he got playing time, but Denny never bought in completely. And to this day, I don't know why. And then he he was a backup in Kansas City. Well, he was a backup in Washington and Kansas City for a few years. But really, Oakland was the first team to say, all right, here, it's it's all yours, but and he was incredible. Salisbury replaced him, and he's not wrong about that. I mean, yeah. Sean was a nice enough guy at the time, but he was a he was the poster child for career uh, backup. Of all people, wow, I love it. That was great. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Oh, that's just what they'll be expecting us to do on fifteen hundred ESPN. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios. Please keep working during the following announcement. Mackie and Judd are back on fifteen hundred. ESPN. Want to win a 55-inch TCL Roku TV? Well, join me at Tuttle's in Hopkins from 6.30 to 8.30 tomorrow night uh, for the ultimate college football viewing party with Dos Equis. Come enjoy an ice-cold one and register to win that TV. Uh, and you can, have, you can find more details at 1500ESPN.com, keyword events. Come on out. All right. We got, we're going to wrap with Royce here pretty soon. We were just talking during the commercial break here, Manny. Judd and I were. It was an ultimate first guess. Everybody who watched football last year said, man, the Jaguars have everything ready to roll. Mm-hmm. You can't go into the season with this dude as your quarterback, right? Yep. You can't. And they did. 
And here's what's happening. Now Cody Kessler is going to maybe be their starting quarterback at some point because Blake Bortles is on a short leash after getting pulled last week. And there's been a lot of times where the Twins went into seasons and you said, first guess, you said, oof, that bullpen, that ain't going to get the job done. You can't have that guy as your closer or that guy as your eighth inning guy, right? You can't put yourself in a situation where you have to trade for three guys at the yes. deadline just to and hope that you can get to the... And the same was true for the Jaguars. Why would you ever take... How hard is it to build a roster as good as they had, especially defensively? It's so hard to build that kind of a roster. There's all kinds of teams like the Packers that stumble into Aaron Rodgers. Oh, we're drafting 22 hours into the draft, and it's like Aaron Rodgers falls into your lap. The incredible thing, though, is, according to Collar, they're coached by a complete moron, (laughs) and they kept this kid at quarterback. Yeah. So there's two things. Yeah. Like personnel wise, you've set yourself up with a defense the previous to the last three games, in which I think they have now surrendered 90 points. But previous to that, you looked at that defense and said, "Whoa!" And and here's the other thing: Fournette's been hurt. I get that, mm-hmm. but he became their guy last year. So you were built around essentially a philosophy that maybe expired in about 2008. Yeah. We're gonna pound the rock. And play defense. No, that's not how 2018 works, guys. Well, the other thing, too, is what what baffled me is that, okay, they get to the AFC Championship game, and they're leading the Patriots, <laughs> and, I mean, they're seven, eight minutes away in the fourth quarter from going to the Super Bowl with Blake Bortles as their quarterback, and they end up losing that game because they couldn't generate enough offense to keep the chains moving and keep Tom Brady off the field. Defense ran out of gas, Patriots win, yada, yada. To me, it's like, okay, when that happens, you come that close and then you lose. You have to ask yourself, why did we lose that game? We were so close. Why did we lose that game? What can we do this offseason to try and put ourselves Mm -hmm. in a better position, much like what the Vikings did? Yeah. Where the Vikings got to the NFC title game, they got drubbed by the Eagles, and they said, okay, well, Case Keenum was good, but we got to... We can't count on our defense being this good again next year and everybody being healthy, so let's try and at least upgrade the position to give ourselves a better chance next year. The Jaguars just, they lost that AFC title game, and then they just ran it back and with the same with the same Teddy, cast of characters Teddy, last year. Teddy would have been an upgrade. Yes. You could have gone and signed a guy who had not really played in two years and, and stuck Teddy in as their quarterback and considered that to be a pretty good size upgrade on Blake Bortles. At least bring him in to push, bring, bring somebody in to push yeah. Blake Bortles. Yeah. They actually whiffed on two chances to land Teddy because they could have signed him in free agency just like the Jets did. And then when the Jets said, yeah, we're going to trade him, what did the Jets wind up getting for Teddy from the Saints? Like a fifth round pick? He was like a fifth rounder, yeah. So you could have traded a fifth round pick for a, a playoff starting quarterback from a few years ago and had him ready to roll. In case Blake Bortles went, you know, the way of Blake Bortles, and Cody instead it's Kessler. Cody Kessler. Also, yeah. other guys that were available via trade or otherwise, I don't know what their their cap situation might have made it kind of tough if they wanted. But they would have had to get rid of Blake Bortles, trade him away for a seventh-round pick, make room for Kirk Cousins. I don't know if they could have cleared out the $30 million that would have been required, or $25, 27000000 million. But if the Jaguars had the money to sign Kirk Cousins, and Cousins was sitting there like, well, do I go play... In a less crowded AFC, yep. keep going. Or on do I, Alex Smith was available via trade. Yep, mm-hmm. there were options. Hell, Eli Manning might have been available via trade. Eli Manning, in his current shaken, rattled, 
fetal position state would be a much better option than Blake Bortles. In fact, the Giants would probably trade Eli Manning to you for like a fourth-round pick right now. Case Keenum. And think about who's a a huge voice in that Jaguars front office right now. Tom Tom Coughlin. Coughlin. Yeah, It's surprising to me that Tom Coughlin, who has... I mean, he's not the general manager, but he's got a big voice in in that front office. It's surprising to me that he didn't sort of just step in and say, look, let's go get somebody to at least... Give us another option if yeah. Bortles falls flat in his face. He, but, he tried to, but his face was still frozen from that <laughs> NFC Championship game. <laughs> but if Collar is what? right, but if Collar is right, then then Tom Coughlin is supporting an incompetent coaching his team. Yeah, and that that's where your problems then start. Wasn't there? Isn't there like some connection in the past with Marone and Coughlin? Too? Was he on his coaching staff somewhere? Maybe. He, there well, might have been. Yeah, I can look that yeah. up. Let's wrap with Royce when we come back to the TCL Broadcast Studios. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Oakley Oakley on fifteen hundred ESPN. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios, Mackie and Judd are back. Okay, man. On fifteen hundred ESPN. All right, quick check on your traffic before we wrap with Royce here. This traffic update is brought to you by Kitchen Window. We have a traffic incident on uh, eastbound 394 in Minneapolis uh, between Dunwoody Boulevard and 94. Uh, It's adding about an extra nine minutes to your commute, so uh, be on the lookout for that. Don't miss the Knife Fest this weekend from 10 to 4 at Kitchen Window, Calhoun Square in Uptown. Free knife sharpening free knife seminars, and 20 to 70% off all cutlery. Kitchen Windows Knife Fest at Calhoun Square this weekend. Details at kitchenwindow.com. And uh, gentlemen, I was looking during the break. I didn't find any connection between Tom Coughlin and Doug Barone. So I, I, they didn't, I don't think they, they cut it now. Fake like news. That. Fake yeah. news. Cut it now. No the Mackie and Judge show is all about fake news. Time to wrap with Patrick Royce. And uh, sir, I'll start you off with this. 3.52 last night. Eight minutes short of uh, four hours to play a nine-inning World Series game. At least we didn't get the four. They, I tell you what happened to me at one point. I clicked over to the uh, at the end of a half inning. And I watched, and they had an NBA game on. And I, you know, I clicked over the NBA, and they were doing their thing. They were doing their highlights, but not highlights, live cut-ins, you know. Mm-hmm. I had to watch five minutes of that game, click back, and they still hadn't thrown another pitch. This BS about a two-minute and 55-second uh, time break, uh, ad break between the uh, last pitch and the next First pitch, that's BS. They're doing uh, four, four and a half minutes. If you do two and a half minutes, two times 16, that's 32 minutes off the game. Yeah. You know? it's. I mean, the, the ad breaks are unbelievable. You know, I mean, I, now, now that you guys mentioned this, I, I've discovered the problem with the old 9-to-1 Mackey and Judge show. Pace of play. Pace of play. We could have been right. done by eleven fifteen back in the old days <laughs> if our takes would have been home. I got you. As you might have saw on Twitter, I got some weird looks at church today. You know, when I was down there at my uh, cousin's funeral, and the guy, the singer was great. A guy named Michael Feldman Bel- from Austin, he was great. But you don't have to sing the Our Father. We all <laughs> <Yeah>. know. <laughs> you right. know, it takes two and a half minutes. You know how long it takes to say an Our Father? 20 seconds. Yeah. There's two minutes right there. That's true. We just cut two minutes off time of mass. Sure, yeah. on, pace pace of church, very important here. Get the young ones to go back. I agree, you know, for communion, and, we don't all way, have to line up for communion. Just pass them down the row. We'll be fine. Yeah, yes. 
by my way, by the way, my cousin John, who we were at the funeral today, used to used to time every homily, and if they took too long, he would address it with the priest. He would say, uh, and including his brother, the priest, who he would really chew out if he went too long on the homily. So uh, I was doing this to support John, worrying about uh, singing the Our Father instead of just saying one. Come on, how about the, how about this church? Every church puts in a clock. <laughs> and the homily, you get eight minutes. You get eight minutes, and then the gong goes, and you're out of there. That's right. I uh, I agree with that. You know, there's a, you know funerals. I suppose you got to throw a little, little Irish funeral. You got to throw a little extra time in there. Yeah, you get a maximum of six casket visits at funerals. That's it. <laughs> That's right. I had one of the relatives, you know, comes up to me and said after you know because this is my generation now that's starting to disappear and uh, one of the one of the, another cousin came up to me and says well i hope to see you soon i said are you sure about that <laughs> 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 maybe we'd like to see each other again in about three years yeah about <laughs> there's no hurry here come on uh pat what what did you learn in your conversation with tracy clays the other day well, he's, uh, you know, he still thinks that uh, he, he would have uh, done okay here as a coach. He wasn't, you know, bad-mouthing anybody terribly, but he does feel like he got the, uh, you know, he got shoved out when he uh, probably should not have. But I, I, I pretty much wrote everything he said. I, I did not, uh, you know, protect it. I will say this. I, I interviewed him for a half hour. And at the end, he said to me, you know, don't let him put too much blame on me there. Don't let him put too much blame on me there. And then we had a little conversation about that. So, mm. and, you know, he's having a good old time coaching for Leach. So Leach is an interesting cat, man. Uh, he's, he's got a, his, his home, his second home is in Key West. Because he bought it during, the, you know, he was out of work for two years after he got fired at Texas Tech, and he and his wife bought this place in Key West. So when Clay's went down to interview with him, it was in Key West, which is 3,300 <laughs> miles away from Pullman, Washington. Yeah. <laughs> I would take the job immediately then. That guy's smart. He is a, uh, he is a different kind of cat, but he's... Uh, you know, I'm wondering if uh, if Kansas pulls the plug, if he might. Now he didn't say anything about this, but if he might have a shot at the job at at Kansas because that guy's going to get fired. They're having another terrible year there, and you know, a local guy. They don't like to pay a lot of money for a football coach. They, I think they're only paying this guy like nine hundred thousand or something. Mm. So maybe if Washington State now they got you know they got four more tough games left, and they could end up seven and five and not it might not be a big deal but uh i don't think there's any doubt he's a very good defensive coach so kansas is a tall order to fix that ship though oh yeah oh yeah well especially because they don't care about football deep in their souls they don't care they just care about basketball your thoughts sir on on purposely starting big 10 football games at 7 p.m on friday nights i am very opposed to this idea and i hate this thought well, it's. Uh, I think they. This whole discussion took place when they revealed it. What uh, seven or eight was it? Almost a year ago that they started telling us this was going to happen. And yeah, 
Uh, Jim Delaney really uh, cares nothing about the fans. Uh, I mean, he cares nothing about the guy who buys a ticket and goes to the game. He only cares about maybe getting another .02 share. You think Rutgers, there's no reason in God's green earth that Rutgers is a member of the Big Ten. Uh, there's, but he doesn't care. College, college basketball game, the barn, two o'clock Saturday afternoon. No, five thirty Sunday night. This idiot. So uh, they they don't care about the people. They don't care about the public. They don't care about the high schools. They don't care about anything. They have no concern. They're gonna. They're not gonna have thirty thousand people Friday night at that game. And. Uh, I don't think they'll announce more than that, but I bet they don't have thirty thousand people at that game. It's a disaster. Yeah. What? Um, so I don't know. We. I feel like I'm. I probably know the answer to this question, but at what point do you think it's fair to judge PJ Fleck? And I'm asking someone who you like. You judged him five minutes before he took the podium for the first time. Well, but I didn't judge whether he could win football games. But that's yeah. I that's my question. Whether I just judged. Oh, you got to wait. You know, two more years probably. Now, now, if he doesn't win more than half his games next year with that schedule, I'd be a little nervous. If you looked at the schedule, it's like a walk in the park. If uh, you know, if he can't go seven and five with that schedule, then I'd be a little nervous. But as far as running him out of here, he's got three more years after this. I would say, you know, as far as running him out of here he's got three more he's got five years and uh i would say you know uh judging him is you know as i said next year if 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 it's if it's uh if it's fighting to become bowl eligible next year with that schedule in year three then maybe we got to wonder if he can because you know he's getting better players if he can coach them or not so you know if they, if they can make them better, uh, we'll, we, we'll find that out. I think next year probably. Yeah, yeah. He's. Uh, I don't know. What do you think? What's, what's your opinion? How, how long does he get? I told you so. He, uh, what, did, he did not inherit nothing. But go ahead. No, he. I, I, what, what I said was he pretty much told us verbatim when he took the job. I'm going to play a bunch of freshmen, including probably a freshman quarterback, and now they're playing two freshman quarterbacks in that second year. And when I heard that, I said, well. The biggest question is going to be, so if he's going to play a bunch of freshmen, especially at quarterback in that second year, they're not going to do a whole lot. Uh, but there's going to be a gap between where he is at in terms of the building process and where Gopher fans and media want oh, yeah. this thing to be. And oh, yeah. that's that's I mean, sort of the, the angst right now. The, the, the angst right now at the University of Minnesota is nobody goes to the games. Yeah, They don't get anybody to go to the games. Mm-hmm. They're, it's terrible. The attend- Clay's, we got... Clay's basically got fired because nobody was going to the games, and two years later, less people are going to the games. Yeah. So is that is that what we were looking for? Are, we, are you looking to have it by year four? Okay, now we're gonna now we're gonna soar back to mediocrity, or uh, you know, if you go through two two lousy seasons of that, you step backwards. You better start in year three and four. Showing that okay, things are better now. We're above average. We're not just average because they were above average two years ago. And you know, if you're still below average in year four and drawing twenty eight thousand, 
uh, the whole rebuilding crap all it didn't work. Yep, yep. Because nobody's going to the game. Yep, that's a good point. All right, Pat, we'll see you tomorrow. See you, Pat. Okay, goodbye. All right, we wrap with Roycey every day. Hey, the World Series in an hour after the great outdoors with Dennis Anderson and Jess Myers, Mackie and Judd on demand at 1500ESPN.com. See you guys. At the Home Depot, we have plenty of Christmas trees to make your holidays even more magical. Hundreds of full, easy-to-assemble artificial trees that look so real, you may be convinced they actually are. And for those who love that fresh pine smell, we have a parking lot full of fresh-cut trees to call your own. We'll even help you load your tree in the car so you can bring home the holidays. The Home Depot. How doers get more done.